So Gabe let it out of the bag. Is this, uh, nope, yeah, almost there. There we go. Gabe let it out of the bag. The basement is a lot of fun. So sorry for those of you that are stuck up here. <laughs> we just don't have a big enough basement for you all. So <laughs> maybe next week I'll trade. I'll go downstairs. He'll be up here and we'll have a lot more fun that way. I think it's actually Kyle that, uh, that made this little competitive thing when he lowballed the waffle time last week. Uh, Gabe is feeling like we got to now battle for position over, you know, what is better, what is good. Um, but I hope today that we will uh, hear from God, that we as a community will orient around his word and, and um, be challenged by it. I, last week was a, a harder text, and this one comes right after it, so guess what? It's kind of in the same sort of vein. Uh, we are now in part three of Sermons on the Plain, which is part of the Gospel of Luke, which is, I don't know what week we're in that. Um, but there's something fascinating about Scripture. And it seems that no matter what age or stage or context of life, or even what community context you're in, that this timeless book, written in a specific time by specific people, still guides, comforts, and speaks to us today. So we are entered the series, this long series, uh, believing that a slow read of the Gospel of Luke would be a blessing. That God would speak to us in ways that we wouldn't hear him if we just hit the Gospel of Luke at its top themes, its highlights, and just rolling on. So we slowed down for uh, a wild 66 weeks is what the, the early framework had. Um, but we already know that that we're going to be longer than 66 weeks. Uh, we are now in Luke 6, and we've had few pauses over uh, Christmas and summer kind of thing. Uh, but we are in Luke 6, and we see that this passage that was originally going to be one teaching uh, begs for us to break it down and go even slower. So we are now in part 3 of Sermon on the Plains in Luke, which was originally one week. But we hope that the slowing down doesn't just elongate the series, but actually helps us engage with what God wants to say to us in kind of like a micro-series and now maybe a 70-week series. I don't, I've lost numbers. I'll just make them up and you guys can just agree to them. So the goal was to slow down and work through this gospel and allow that, the words of God, to speak into us and form us more and more into the kingdom people that God has called us to be. So last week we did have the hard teaching around enemy love. Uh, this week we are looking at judging. Look around. Do it. Look around. Look around at each other. Right, get it out. <laughs> look around. Look, eye somebody up. Give them, give them the old stink eye. Right, now's the time. We're looking at judging. We're, we're nailing it? Are we nailing it? Online, uh, find somebody to judge. Um, I, we want to include everybody in this, right? Uh, so this is good teaching. Uh, <laughs> all right, so last week we looked at this enemy love, and one of the uh, frameworks we had is think about the worst person and the best thing you could do for them. And sometimes judging is actually the opposite of that, where you think of like the best person and the, and the worst feature of them. Uh, the other part is just being able to framework worst and best person. <laughs> We've already done it, right? Last week we did it. Way to go. Uh, this week we did it again. Way to go. Way to go. I'm not really celebrating this. Uh, spoiler alert. All right, we as people are judgy people. Right? We know the best. We know the worst. Uh, we judge others. We judge people we know. We judge people we don't know. 
Uh, we are judged by people we know. We are judged by people we don't know. Judging is a thing we do. We all have a profound ability to judge. So let's see what Jesus has to say about judging. Uh, it's going to be in Luke 6. Uh, we're going to start at Luke 6, 37. Uh, but I'm going to pray over our time before we get into the text. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you gave us the Bible. That you gave us the word that we can come to in good season and dry season, in, in easy things and hard things, Lord, that we can set it before us and come face to face with you. Lord, we ask that through your teaching today that you will guide us to be more and more the kingdom people that you've called us to be. May you have your way in each one of our lives. May you highlight the things that you want to work on in each one of us, but also us as a community. And Lord, may we see your kingdom come here in Stanley Park as it is in heaven. Amen. So what does Jesus have to say about judging? Uh, in Luke 6, 37, it says, do not judge. Okay, are we done here? Uh, we're done. Let's, let, let's roll. Easy. Oh, the, if you look, there's a little bit more. Um, it, it carries on. Uh, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Now we can leave it, right? Anybody? No? No? Our lives are better when we just engage with Scripture and just do exactly as it says. But then you may have been looking at it already and realized that we got a loophole. Right? Who doesn't like a good loophole? If, if, if we don't judge people, we won't be judged, which then means like we can do whatever we want. Right? You guys can argue with me. <laughs> Please argue with me. <laughs> right? It, it seems that there's more to this text than just do not judge and you won't be judged. It goes on to say, do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, will be measured to you. So there we have it. Right? This, this passage looking at judgment. But what do we do with this? This might be one of the early spots where we kind of get the idea that people can't judge people. Right? That we just shouldn't judge may come across as an attitude where we say that all we do is right because you can't judge me. It's interesting that this saying, uh, only God can judge me, yeah, I'm sure you've heard that, right, uh, is often said around the things that God has said in his final days, he will judge poorly. The things that measure up poorly for a person is often the things like, oh, you can't judge me. And I think it's said another way, it's actually saying that I know I'm wrong and I don't care. Right? I'm just saying it differently. God, God's the only one that can judge me. Oh, you know what? I know I'm wrong. I just don't care. So while we are looking at this, we know that God does have good judgment. Right? That God wants to bring valuable things into life and he wants to bring clarity. And we want to have that for our life as well. But we also want to hold attention in, in justice and judgment with also grace and love. And we sometimes want to like jump to polar ends of this. It's uh, sitting in the hard spots of both. And we are not right. We are not righteous in ourselves. And no matter what we do or do not do, doesn't make us righteous. 
right? The, the brokenness of us, that ship has sailed long ago. We have all fallen short. And yet we're still here. We still gather around hope. So this morning, you may have come in here thinking that you are perfect. Anybody? No? <laughs> A few? Oh, all right. Nobody, all right? Right? And even if you did, you thought you were perfect, now you are already proving that you're imperfect because you have this false view of yourself. Uh, in John, uh, 1 John 1, 8 to 10, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and, ju- uh, and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so for the one of us that thought we were perfect, sorry, breaking bad news, the ship sailed, you weren't on it. So this judgment is clear before us. We all have fallen short. There is not one righteous person here in and of themselves. But every one of us here, no matter where you fall in the continuum of good and great to (laughs) terrible and horrible, you have the same access to righteousness. Jesus. The only righteousness we have is not what we do or don't do, what we say and don't say, who we judge and we don't judge. It is actually Jesus. Holding that only God can judge me confuses something here. It confuses with ourselves as being one that can vindicate or allow ourselves to have some sort of righteousness. But righteousness is actually found in our confession of our sins, to say that we have done wrong, that we have missed the mark, that we missed the ship and we can't catch up, no matter how hard we try. Our self-righteousness will not make us righteous. It actually masks us from the truth and makes us miss an even bigger ship of grace and mercy and love. As we try to fix ourselves, we move further and further away from Jesus. In Romans 3, 23 and 24, it says, For all have, fallen, uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So one of the things in this is not be surprised. When you look around the church, you find people that are sinful. When you find broken people living out broken lifestyles, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The thing is being willing to see your sin. Not just a band-aid on it. Like, yeah, you know, it's not that bad. Or like, oh, like, you should see the other people, right? Where you start judging, right? Oh, do not judge, right? Um, where you, you start looking at your life and you try to find ways to be a little bit more self-righteous. Uh, if I just corrected these things, if I gave more, we're open to that. But it doesn't solve your problems. When you look at your life and you try to correct it just on your own, you are not living into the kingdom way because there's no way you can come up with that. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus' work in our lives will be calling us to better. Not band-aids, but better. And so, we have an option of turning to ourselves trying to save ourselves, or turning to Jesus, the one who makes us right, the one who makes us righteous, and the Holy Spirit, which then convicts us and corrects us. So this text, I'm not judging, ends with something. It says, for the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
gets confusing, right? It's not our loophole of getting out of, of sin. It actually draws into a bigger picture, which comes from the last passage we looked at yesterday. Uh, we looked at um, the mercy of God in 636. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. What do you want to bet that the gap between these two paragraphs in the text isn't actually that far apart? That when Jesus was doing a single teaching and he's bringing a big idea about a merciful Father who forgives sins and wants to be seeing his kingdom established in us, that he wants that mercy from the last passage to work through into our measuring today. So last week, we were called to be merciful people. And there's all kinds of bad and challenging things. There's sin, as we look at it. There's things in our lives that are out of God's will and God's desire for creation. Every one of us has it. We're not surprised. But it doesn't mean we just let that go. That we just let it run rampant in our community. Ah, you know what? Only God can judge me. No. No. Or, it's by God's grace I can do whatever I want. Paul says, a uh, Greek word, I love it, is meganoita. It's the closest to cussing you're going to find in the Bible. May it not be so. The heart of one that follows after Jesus is one that is conformed to Jesus' way. I do name that we're not all fully there. We, we aren't home yet. We're in a long process working our way to where we finally will be fully realized Christ embodiment. But that won't happen, one, if we just leave ourselves where we are, but two, if we don't walk and follow after Jesus. We know in eternity we are both sanctified and justified, but here and now we are living in a complex situation where there's parts of us that we don't like. There's parts in other people we don't like. There's parts everywhere that we don't like, partly because it is sinful and wrong, partly because we're sinful and wrong. But the scripture says, with the same measure, it will be measured to you. So we want to be merciful people, but we also want to name things that are off the mark. Right? Do you cast judgment? Do you try to level up in the kingdom? Do you try to make yourself better? Do you see people and know that they don't know Jesus and you cast them off? with the same measure, is measured back to us. We want to be a merciful people. Not because we want to somehow work our way into receiving mercy. We know we've received mercy. But because of the mercy that we have received, we now want to live in the same posture as Jesus. We want to name grace. We want to hold up truth. We want to correct and direct we also want to do it in step with the Spirit. Because a lot of us aren't perfect yet. See, we each deserve condemnation, but we are given life through Jesus. Now, don't worry, in this, in this tension of good, bad, challenging, all these things, next week in our Gathered Sunday, we're going to have a very short teaching on fruit. Because fruit matters. Don't miss that. It is in verse 43. If you want to get ahead, you can see that. It's coming. But what we want to do and what we should do is continually look at how do we live out this kingdom of God as a community and as individuals. Because we know that what we've received is actually costly grace. Jesus took our spot. He saw your sins, the ones that you hid, the ones that are on the mat, he saw all of ours. 
and he died in our place. The cost isn't ours to carry anymore because Jesus took it on. He gave you grace and mercy where you do not deserve it. And that grace and mercy is to change our lives. It is to change our path from the way that we once went to following after our good and loving Father. To embrace the kingdom here on earth in the ways and directions of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, but even more importantly, and I think this is the key piece, embrace the King, Jesus. Because a kingdom without a king isn't the kingdom. There's a story in John 8, I know it's a different gospel, but I think the Pharisees heard Jesus' teaching on mercy. And they said, does he really mean it? Surely not. So they, they see Jesus come and they're like, we got this. They go and they find a woman in adultery. Right? They probably knew this was going on. They didn't correct it before, but they find her in adultery and drag her out in front of Jesus. What is he going to do, right? Here's a moment. She's caught in her sins. Jesus, what are you going to do here? What are you going to do? Of course he's going to judge her. Of course he's going to call down like all the stones from everybody to cast upon her because that is what you do. And if you know this story, you know it goes slightly different. Jesus, with the person deep in sin, moments ago, right, surrounded by people, I'm sure they're also got their own sins, he goes to her, and he says to everybody, all right, whoever has never sinned, cast the first stone. With the same measure, he calls to them. Yeah, we know she has sin. Absolutely. We, we can tell. You guys have been watching for a while. You figured it out. Uh, but what about you with the hidden sins? What about the things that you've hidden, the things that you don't want others to know? If you're sinless, go ahead, throw a stone. Some say that Jesus even knelt down and started writing out their sins in front of them. We don't know what he wrote in the sand, but some think, you know what, that would be pretty convicting. You're like, oh yeah, I got it. You're reaching for a stone, and you're like, no, that one's mine. Yeah, he knows. He's seen the sins going on. God knows what's going on in your life, in the stories, what you believe, what you've been acting. And nobody throws one. He sa Jesus says, where are your accusers? Don't even one of them condemn you? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. So I think this brings us back to Luke, the text, where he carries on in his teaching, and he says, here's a parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher. But everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Let's take a second to ask a hard question, because Jesus likes asking hard questions, doesn't he? What are you like? Merciful? Gracious? Just? Loving? Righteous? If that's not what you are like, Maybe you want to ask who your teacher is. Right? Nobody is better than their teacher. And if you don't look 
like your teacher, maybe you don't have him as your teacher. If you don't look like your master, he's not your master. So we are given this important part. We don't just leave people in their uncomfortable spots. We don't just leave people in their sin. We don't just ignore them. We partner. We love. We, as the merciful people, come alongside and show them the teacher that they want to follow. We show them the better way than whatever led them this way. Which brings us further in the text, verse 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck out of your eye when you have failed to take the plank in your own eye, you hypocrites. First take out the plank in your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. This is actually really funny. Right? It doesn't feel funny right now, but this is actually really funny. Like, Jesus got jokes. I can see this group of people hanging out and making this shorthand, right, for the judgy guy in the group. Right? Oh, we got old plank eye over here. Right? Like, it's comical. We, we can miss that. We've seen history around this, but this is actually kind of comical. It's a, a weird story of a plank in an eye. No, that's not a thing. But past it being comical, we see that someone is looking to find a speck like a speck, not like a chunk, not like a hunk, a speck. And they miss, they're looking for a speck, and they miss a plank that is right in front of them. Now, I, I don't know if you'll be able to pull up. I meant to put it in the computer. Uh, in uh, our shared file, there is the Jorhai uh, window. If you can't find it, I'm going to describe it perfectly so you guys can picture it in your mind. Um, but there is this window of two psychologists in 1955. They created a matrix, the, the Johai, 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 Johai window. It's really hard to say. It's not my word. It's theirs. Um, Johari, that's the one. Thank you. Yes, Johari. I was working on it all day yesterday, and I just didn't get it. So that's grace. I'm not the perfect one here. Mm. There we go. We made it. So this is a helpful tool in understanding relationship to self and also others. I'm glad you found that. Bonus points. I don't have any points, but bonus points. All right, it's a window, and it's up. Uh, there's what you know and others know. This area is the open area. It's like everything's known. There's also where others know and you don't. Blind spots. It's worth knowing that sometimes our plank can be in a blind spot, but everybody else can see it. There's another category after that. There's what you know, but others do not know. This is what I would call the fisherman's friend, uh, where that six-inch fish is actually longer than your arm. Right? You know what it is, but nobody else knows what it is. And then there is this hidden area, the area that you don't know and others don't know. So this passage with planks and specks and eyes is actually like a complex working and wondering of what is all going on in people's lives. What we can see in the text is that you should be looking for planks and specks in your life. Right, going to the window, uh, do you know of a plank in your life? If you do, get on that. Do others know of a plank in your, uh, in your life? Do you have a hidden plank in your life? Right? We kind of have the first three windows, and what I, I think is valuable is to do some 
self-investigation, right? Find a way to look at your life and see what you might be missing. Said another way, to pause and inspect your life to the same degree you look at another. Right? Judge yourself. If you were to be interested, Scripture has a very interesting thing around judgment. The theme of judgment in Scripture, it seems that the majority of time, you want to know where it is? It starts with God's people. Those who are closest to God, the judgment starts. It's enacting justice and correction to those who are closest to him. Which doesn't sound encouraging, does it? Anybody, anybody say like, hey, hey, no. But here's what's good to know, is that God is working on making us holy and righteous people. A people set apart. People made like him. So it actually makes sense that he wouldn't start miles away. That he actually wants to start with us who are closest to him. Not because he wants to pour out wrath on you, but because he wants to work you over in grace. That he wants to see his kingdom come in your life. Not just down the way. For you to become more and more the right image bearer of his righteousness and life. So that when people see you, they see Jesus. Now there's really only one thing in this window that I think we all, the unknown. You get, anybody hate the unknown stuff? Yeah, it's there. Right, so that this window has an unknown category. And there's parts of us that we don't know. Right, so don't beat yourself up on the, the hidden stuff. Um, you can still do the research on the stuff that you know that you don't tell people and the people know and they won't tell you. But this hidden thing is actually a cool thing that we can embrace um, with God. Is that it's still part of us and it can still be off. Just because it's unknown doesn't mean it doesn't need correction. But it's even trickier because you're like, what do we do with that? You pray. It's a very simple thing. The answers are always hard. God, is there anything that is unknown in the depth of me? Is there something hidden that you want to work through, that you want to bring up, that you want to bring to the surface, bring into the known, because you want to make me more like you? Right, that saying earlier, only God can judge me, this kind of category is like literally is the only area that God can fully judge you nobody else can. Nobody else knows what's deep inside. But we see in Psalm 139, the search me, O Lord, a heart willing to not just hide off in the shadows and the shame, one that's not just leaving the unknown unknown, but wants to see God continue to do his work, where maybe God will bring up something from the hidden space in your life. It may be a, a plank, maybe a speck, a spot. But we, as followers of Jesus, we don't want to get home in limp mode. Uh, anybody have a car that's ever been in limp mode? It's got no power. It's like slow and like up hills, like just worthless. You know, it still has value, of course, like it's a car. But like, you're not even going to take it out to go get groceries in limp mode. We don't want to get home in limp mode. We want to be the ones that follow after Jesus where the specks, the spots, the planks are removed. We want to be in relationships where we speak life into one another, calling out the ways that, you know, this is not Jesus. But we want to be ones that search for specks with respect. Right? This plank speck passage makes light of those who refuse to see what's obvious. 
So anyone that can see a small thing knows it's worth seeing. Because we want to be continually transformed into the image of Christ. And what's valuable in this passage, and we, I think we often miss it, we get caught up in the, the joke of the plank in the eye, is how this passage ends. First take the plank out of your eye. And then you will, be, uh, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I think at the very beginning we weren't going there, were we? This passage ends with the speck still being removed. Right? That it's not just about getting your plank out, it's about being a community where we see what is in each other's lives and we say, hey, I got a plank, I I see your speck, but I got to go deal with this because if I don't deal with my own things as I come into a relationship with you, actually I'm going to hurt you, I'm going to harm you. That I might be gouging out your eye trying to get a speck out of it. And we want to be a community of care and support and Christ-likeness. So go and remove your plank. And maybe it's that you don't know you have a plank, but everybody else does. Ask somebody. Maybe today. That could be a fun table conversation. Right? <laughs> no? <laughs> we'll pray for boldness. Um, right? Is there a plank in my life that you can see that needs to go? Oh, yeah. Like six of them. Oh, neat. Well, well, give me one. Like, let's do it alphabetical. Right? So let's take this and go back to the start of the passage. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and, run, uh, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There's a part that I think you guys kind of like also wonder, like, what is going on? Like, that little weird thing. Like, we get the beginning, we get the end. This poured into your lap image. Right? Anybody? You guys, oh, I'll move on. Anybody wondering? Thank you, yes, I, I don't want to waste your time. If you guys got it, this poured out into your lap image is kind of like going to the market, right? That we have like maybe our backpacks or whatever, shopping carts. They can go there and be like, oh, like I don't have any, any reusable bags. What do you do? Well, it's, they like pull up their little tunic-y thing with a belt there and they have them pour into this pouch. And so like they're, they're getting good things. Like it's being poured into the space here. And it seems that this person in this picture is pouring out generously. Like, it's not like, oh yeah, here's a little bit. Like, it's better than Halloween, right? Like, oh, here's three things for you. Where like, you have your pouch of all that you can carry, and they're pouring, and it's spilling out into your lap. You have more than you can carry here. This is a picture that is overflowing, that the giver spills out more than you can carry. And the same story shows up again and again and again. Do unto others as you'd have done unto you. We are called to be a generous people. Even in correction. Loving correction, of course. We are given to each other to bless and embrace just justice. Not just vengeance or anger. And we are also not trying to dodge judgment of God or of correction as we want to partner with the Holy Spirit in doing his work to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Colossians 1.22, For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, this being Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your, uh, in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you to Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusations. We are made holy and justified by Jesus. And in our lives, we want to backfill eternity into this community through life-on-life discipleship. That means, like, I don't meet with every one of you to make you confess your sins. Amen. Yeah, all right, good. Right? That means you guys actually will get coffee with me. Um, But where we are in a community where relationships are coming alongside and we speak loving, gentle, caring things to keep us growing in the path after Jesus. Naming specks, naming planks for one another, but via the work of the Spirit. If you aren't willing to pray about it, don't talk to somebody about it. If you aren't willing to hold them up, you're just going to let them down. We need to be a community where we can hold hard, broken things, because I I can guarantee you, your hard, broken things that you don't want to look at are attached to a lot of things. And so you justify it, or you, you... You just try to ignore it because it hurts and it's hard. And so we as a community want to grow to continually be a community that lovingly comes alongside and says, this is going to hurt. Hold steady, right? Like if there's a speck of something, let me get it. Like even an eyelash, how much irritant is in that. We want to be a community that's gentle and able to come close to assist brothers and sisters as we walk after Jesus. We want to be graciously, lovingly careful We want to love others. And after self-inspection, lovingly partner, not just do to, in correction. We want to be alongside the hard and the beautiful. So this is where we find, once again, that tension. It's always worth naming tensions. Is that we want to lean not just into just grace and no justice, or all justice but no mercy, but to be like Jesus and to call after him and be ones like him. Where when we find each other, we know that we are trying to live into this beautiful space of correction and love and justice and mercy. And so what I would love for us to do, we will have a song to also reflect, is to pray. And we're going to pray first community, but we're going to do it pray last. Right? I'll invite Hope up here. But for our prayer time, I would like to invite you to posture yourselves. Uh, in, the, in the passage, it had the, the idea of going to the market and pulling up your little skirty thing, your tunic, right, and your belt, and, uh, and looking to receive something that overflows. I would love for us, while we pray, to kind of position our hands in the same way, where we, we come before God and we ask him to speak to us. That if there's something he wants to give to us that's in this mercy, peaceful, correction way, that we will receive it. And that this posture allows us to say, God, I am here open-handed, willing to hold hard things because I know you're good, because you love me. And so let's close our eyes and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know you've called us to yourself. We know that we have a long story of brokenness and woundedness 
Lord, we know that there is so many reasons why we can ignore a plank in our own eye and look after a speck. Lord, we know that we may have done many planks in the past and we, we are done letting there be planks in our lives. And so we just ignore them. Lord, we know that there's things deep down inside our lives and our history and our background that we can't even bring to mind. But Lord, we want to be a community where we seek what you seek, and that is good, righteous living, filled by the Spirit, chasing after you. And so Lord, today we hold out our hands before you. And we ask that you share with us what you want. And today, maybe it's a hard one, Lord. Maybe you are showing us something in our life that has to go. Lord, we ask that you bring that clearly to our mind. Lord, we ask that you put it on our heart that we are, we are not going to rest until we rest in your peace, in your grace, in your mercy, not in whatever has been attached to this. Lord, maybe there is a, a word of encouragement that you want to pour out to us. Lord, maybe there's been work being go going on in our lives that you want to celebrate and encourage us. We know that you are a good father and that you love us so much. And so not only do we get correction, we get encouragement. Lord, we want to be ones that follow after you and will pick up whatever you hand to us. And so in this time, Lord, we ask that you bring to mind what you have. going to do that new song once more. Lord, I find you in the seeking. Lord, I find you in the doubt. And to know you is to love you and to know so little else. Oh, I need you oh how i need you 